Those of you that were here last week, remember that we're talking about the design, God's design for marriage. We got about halfway through that. And so we're going to talk about that again this morning and also about uh, God's purpose for marriage. And we'll hopefully get through some of those things this morning here. But I'm praying most of all this morning that uh, we would all realize that uh, God is very specific about his desires for you and I, about his commandments for you and I, but also about the life he desires for you and I to live. I think many of you have been reading through the one-year Bible, and over the last month and a week or so, we've been in Exodus and also in Leviticus, and uh, I was amazed yet again about God's specific design and instructions for him building the tabernacle, and he went over and over and over with Moses and those that were involved and made sure that they had every aspect, and then they had him repeat them to him, so they'd know it, but then they also followed his directions, so the tabernacle was completed. Then as you moved into Leviticus, you realized that he was talking about sacrifices. And once again, I was overwhelmed with how specific he was about sacrifices. Sacrifices were everything. Obviously, it was was Christology pointing the way to the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ, one day. But God, once again, was very, very specific with his design and also his purposes for those sacrifices. As we begin our discussion this morning about marriage, I want to ask my married couples for just a second. Can you remember the first time that you kissed your spouse? Most of us probably can. In fact, uh, there was a number of folks at uh, Butler University that was curious about this, so they decided to do a scientific research on this, and they did a a survey on it. And they came up with several results, and I want to share those with you this morning, that uh, they came up with the result that this is one of the most profound things that a person can do, is have a kiss. And they talked about how the emotions are stirred and how the physiology goes involved in it too, but also the anticipation, all the different things involved in that first kiss. And they also found out in this uh, scientific research survey that most people can recall 90% of what the events were and what surrounded that first kiss, no matter how long ago it happened. They can recall where it happened. They can recall who made the first move. They can recall that uh, no matter how long ago, they remembered the details. And uh, they had one basic conclusion coming out of this. That whether that first kiss was magic or disaster, one thing about that first kiss was likely unforgettable. You may be wondering if the pastor remembers his first kiss. Yes, he does. I'll share that with you later. I share all those things to, to kind of get our minds focused this direction that uh, marriage came from the heart and mind of God. It didn't come from our thinking, our ideas, or our hearts, or our minds. It came from God's mind. And there's no institution on this earth more precious to God than a marriage. God has very specific details and very specific plans and very specific purposes for the marriage. You know, many of you have been involved in building projects. Maybe you've had a house built, or maybe I know we get some builders in the room too, and you you build things. And... uh, Anytime we build something, a, a structure of some sort, we have blueprints. In fact, I had our fellow yank me out one of those sets of blueprints. And this was just one of about five different packages of blueprints for building these buildings here. And every time I came into the building during the construction, they had these things spread out everywhere. The different men were looking at the different parts, the schematics, and making sure they would put an electrical in properly, the plumbing in properly, the building structures, the walls in the proper place. And so it's very, very important in life that we have blueprints. Do you know how marriage operates today, though? It's sad in America today that many times people fall in love, hopefully, 
And then they decide, hey, we want to spend the rest of our life together. They say that. Whether or not they really contemplate what that entails, I'm not sure. But so they begin dating. They begin seeing each other. There's this anticipation and excitement about dating. I can't wait to see her. In fact, you may have had experiences yourself where you had a date with your future bride on a Saturday morning, went out for a little picnic or something like that, or a hike, and then came back home and changed clothes and then went back out for dinner and a movie. And first thing you want to do when you got home that night about 11 o'clock is call her again or call him again. Man, I don't want to talk to him again. Can't get enough of that person. So you ultimately feel led to get married. You get married and everything's exciting as you set up that new home together and as you begin planning your future together and begin doing more and more things together and living together as a married couple. But unfortunately in America today, after a few, few years, unfortunately it seems like the passion, the intimacy and the excitement about that marriage wanes off. And too many marriages end up. They're no longer climbing every day. They're no more building every day in their relationship they end up plateauing and then ultimately fall off the abyss. And it's just so sad that those marriages that start out with such a great enthusiasm, great love for each other, great excitement about the future, seem to come to a roadblock or a dead end and realize, hey, there's not much of a future left here. And so I might as well change and look for greener grass. That was never God's intention for marriage. We know that. We understand that. I'm here to testify based on the Word of God this morning that the reason that too many marriages don't make it, they don't understand the original design for marriage, nor do they understand the ultimate purpose. I believe, unfortunately, because the divorce rate seems to be almost as high in the church today as it is in the secular world out there, that many people that go to church every week, every, people that have been in church for months and years in their life, don't understand the purpose and design as well. But God has a very specific design, a very specific purpose, but He also has... An intention that our lifeline, our, our, our marriages are lifelong. That our marriages, when we become married in Him and married to each other, is to be a permanent relationship. God has an incredible purpose and design for our marriages. Scripture tells us in Psalms 127 that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. And it's true. I'm here to tell you, even if you don't have God's design, don't have God's purposes, and your marriage survives for a lifetime, you're missing out on what God truly has for you. There's phenomenal depth to a marriage when we realize God's ultimate design and also His ultimate purpose. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 for a second. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. As you're turning that way and standing this morning out of reverence respect to the reading of God's Word, I want you to realize that what we're looking at in the book of Genesis here is the foundation how God intended his people to live, but also to behave, but also to in, in, in encounter and interact with each other. So God here has given us the foundation for his greatest foundation, the marriage. If you found your way to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, read with me if you will. It says, verse 18, The Lord God said, It is not good for man that should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird in the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gives names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman. And he brought her out to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she, is, she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Let's pray. 
Father, in the stillness of these moments, we ask that you'd speak to our hearts, Father, beginning with the pastors here. Lord, that we might see your word, Father, exactly how you intend us to see it, Father, that you would reveal the things, illuminate the things this morning, Father, that they would pierce our hearts, Father, and become who we are. Father, we thank you now once again for your holy word. We thank you, Lord, that your word lives, Father, that your word is every bit as relevant today in the lives of your people as they were the days they were written. Father, we thank you now once again for all these things in the precious, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you'd speak to our hearts, that we'd all leave here just a little bit different than the way we came in. We pray these things, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Last week we talked about the four steps, two of the four steps of God's design. came out of Genesis 2.24. It says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There's four specific design elements there, four steps to God's design right there. There's the essence of leaving, severance. There's the essence of cleaving, which means that they're going to become permanent. There's the essence of unity. It says that they should become one bond, one flesh. And finally there's intimacy in verse 25. We talked last week about severance, about leaving. In God's design, couples are meant to leave their parents, meant to leave their old family and look forward to a new family. The essence of leaving is not just leaving, and it's definitely not to not honor mother and father, but it's the essence of pointing our our vision forward, looking to what God has for us in the future. God is getting ready to build a new family. God is getting ready to do a great work, and he needs your complete attention alongside your spouse. God wants us to focus on him that we're building something brand new in the power and the grace of Jesus Christ. The second design element, second part, the, the next part of verse 24, it says you should, be, you should cleave to your wife. He shall cleave to his wife or be joined or united with his wife. The word cleave, as we talked about last week, means to be glued together, glued to one another. The relationship is intended to be permanent. We talked last week about a contract versus a covenant. The essence of the difference between a contract and a covenant is the fact that a covenant can be changed if circumstances change. God's covenant with us is permanent. It's a permanent binding agreement. It's a permanent relationship. There is no changing in that relationship. God intends that relationship when we make a a commitment to each other with him in the middle of it to last forever. Marriages are intended to last forever. It's unfortunate today, though, that in America, they're not that way. Why? Because culture says it's okay. Well, culture never dictates what we do as Christians. What dictates what we do is God's holy word. That needs to be the foundation of where we stand in everything, especially marriage. Step number three in the design process is unity. It says we shall become one flesh. You know, what does that really mean? The essence here is that unity is the heart of the marriage. God desires unity. Jesus Christ, the night before he was crucified, prayed for unity. Prayed for unity in in, in the essence of how he had unity with his father, but also how he had unity with the disciples, but also how he wants you and I to have unity. God desires unity. I want you to know that uh, I've done a number of weddings, and you've been to a number of weddings, and you've had your own wedding. But on that day that we get married, and we stand up front there and we say, I do. Will you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? I do. We take this husband, this man, to be your lawfully wedded husband. I do. It's not the husband. It's not the wife. Not the pastor. It's not the parents even that day. It's God Almighty that joins this couple together. 
It's God that is up to something very special there by the power of the Holy Spirit. God Almighty is the one that makes us one flesh. You may be saying, how does that happen? God does it. God does it in the power of the Holy Spirit. I had the opportunity a number of years ago to sit with a young lady that got married about six months prior to that. And I asked her, what is the greatest thing that you learned in the first six months of marriage? And I thought this was profound. She was right on target. She said, sanctification. Sanctification. I said, well, what do you mean? She says, I'm living closer to somebody than I've ever lived in my whole life right now. And he sees me exactly for who I am. And I want to be a better person for him, but I also want to be a better person in God. And he's helped me identify things in my character and my person that are not right with God, that I need to get a better handle on. He helps me. My husband helps me see, see me who I am. Think about this for just a second. Think about the greatest wedding gift that God gives us on our wedding day. You know what it is? It's a full-length mirror called our spouse. You know what I'd say if God attached a, a card to that little gift he gives us there? He'd say, here's to you discovering who you really are. How do we become one person? It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's by letting the Holy Spirit infill us. By desiring to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. To desire first and foremost to live a life right that's right, righteous in the sight of God, but also righteous in the sight of my spouse. I want to be the best person I can be for God, but I also want to be, as a married person here, the best person I can be for my spouse. You and I were created for a purpose. That purpose is to bring honor and glory to God Almighty. And how a spouse helps us do that in a greater way is to help us identify in our, in our lives what's not right. Why? Because they'll probably mention it to us. They'll probably point it out to us. We'll probably realize after I say something mean to somebody that's, so, that's closer to me than anybody has ever been before, I shouldn't have said that. I need to work on that. I need to become a more gentle person. God gives us partners so we can be two people serving as one for the glory of God. That God desires for us to be His ambassadors here in this world. You know, the true nature of marriage is a, a partnership with a purpose. God has given us here. I'm here to tell you, as God is my witness standing here, that I have seen so many couples come through our church, so many couples out there in the street that I've met that are having problems in their relationship. I had one couple here come one day. I convinced them on a Sunday morning. They said, we're going to the divorce court this week. They're both here to church together, but we, we just can't take it. I said, would you come see me before you go, please? Please. I hadn't had a chance to talk to them yet. They came into my office. We talked about God. I was just praying earnestly before they showed up. I was praying when I was in the office with them. I prayed when they left. And they were leaving my office to go down and talk to the divorce attorney. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. We talked about God. We talked about God's purpose, that God has a purpose for you, that your marriage is going to be better off going through this hard time if you just let God come back into it. You know what happened? About three hours later, I got a call from him. Pastor, on the way down there, we stopped our car. We both started crying and realized that we didn't have God we needed to be in our marriage. We didn't have what God had given us. We'd forgotten all about that. We got all self-centered and all concerned in our own things. And they said, we canceled the lawyer's appointment. We're going to keep working on it. Can we come see you again next week? I said, absolutely. We underestimate the power of God. We really do. But God puts us together that we might bring glory to Him. God puts us together that we might understand our purpose in a greater way. You know, individual people, if you don't get married, that's fine too. 
But God had a very specific purpose for you and I being married. And that's putting two people together to sanctify themselves, realize that they're set apart, and we want to be the best people we can be because God has set us apart for a very specific purpose, for a very specific reason, that we live this life for His glory, that we'd, we'd reflect God into this world. The fourth step in the design process has to do with verse 25. Look at that for just a second. It says they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. You know, a lot of times when we read this verse, we kind of get uh, finished and done. This thing about it is the physical state. You know, they're both naked, which was true. But if you look up the Hebrew, the word naked there, the original definition means one is laid bare. Okay, it can reflect the physical state, but it also talks about the emotional state. What does that mean? It means that as a married couple... I'm transparent. My soul is laid bare to my, my spouse. Who I am is laid transparent to my spouse. There's, there's no lying. There's no secrets. There's no gain. And there's no shame, it says there. There's no guilt. There's no sin. You know what? Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship. A perfect relationship. It was perfect for one reason. That they were spiritually intimate with God. It's before sin entered in. There was no division between them and God. They talked to God personally. There was no division there. As a married couple, we need intimacy. And unfortunately, many times, because we just haven't really thought it through, the intimacy we're thinking about has to do with the physical. That's a very small part of it. It's an incredible blessing that God gives us. But the more important part of, of intimacy in yours and my realm is the idea that I want to have spiritual intimacy with God. And I want to have spiritual intimacy with my mate. I want to be one with God, with my mate. I'm going to tell you one of the easiest things you can do. It's easiest when you think about it, but sometimes it's hard to execute. One of the best things, most powerful things you can do in your relationship with your spouse is to pray with that spouse every single day. What does that do? It brings my spouse and I into the throne room of God Almighty. It brings us into His presence. I can't sit there holding my spouse's hand and talk to God and be angry. Or if I am, I need to ask God forgiveness and my wife forgiveness in that prayer. I pray my wife would forgive me for losing my patience today. God, you please forgive me. God, help me not to be angry. Forgive me my anger, whatever it might be. But if we truly want to have God's designed marriage, we need to draw close to God as a couple. We need to have that spiritual intimacy. There's emotional intimacy as well. That I know my wife. My wife would probably tell you, and I feel the same way about me, that we probably know each other. We do know each other better than anybody else does. Why? Because we share, we communicate, we talk. So there needs to be this spiritual and emotional intimacy. I can tell you this too. That as you grow in spiritual intimacy, as you grow in emotional intimacy, you know what happens? The physical intimacy gets better as well. Because there's more there than just the physical aspect. There's a whole human being there. There's a whole oneness with God there. There's a blessing of God and rejoicing in the, in the joy of our salvation because of what God has done. I mentioned to you last week as we were closing that, you know, there's something we can look at here in the design process that God has for marriage that parallels and reflects God's plan and design for salvation. I want you to think about this for just a second. The four elements of design that God gave for the marriage, there was severance, which means leaving, there was permanence, which meant cleaving. 
There was unity, which means one bond, and there was finally intimacy. Think about this for a second in the salvation message. The whole idea of the gospel here. The severance aspect, the leaving aspect. You know what that is? It's repentance. That God has called us to leave the world. To turn from the world and turn to Jesus Christ. It's leaving the world. It's leaving the things behind here. And I'm leaving those things behind and I'm, I'm, I'm heading towards Jesus Christ. I'm focusing on Jesus Christ. I'm no longer part of the world, so I'm leaving. Then there's that permanent aspect. That cleaving. God wants us to put Him first and foremost in life. He wants us to keep Him above all else. God wants Him to be who we are. He wants us to hold on to God like glue. Hold on to Him in all things, both in the good times and the bad things. Bad times. You guys know as well as I do, a lot of times we're, we're pretty good, good about holding on to God when things are going bad or things are going hard. But when it's time for us to have a good time and everything's going well, sometimes we kind of move God over the side because, you know, I don't need Him right now because I'm doing pretty good. Well, I want to hold on to Him. I want to be desperate for God all the time. Desperate to hold on to Him. Desperate for Him to hold on to me. Desperate that God would show me the things in my steps right now that could be even better, even though things are going well. So we leave, we cleave to God, and then there's that unity. God wants us to be one with Him. He wants Him. It's not I that live, but Christ that lives in me, Paul said. God wants to be who we are. God wants us to walk with Him in a powerful way. And then finally, that intimacy. I've told you before, the greatest thing I can do as your pastor is to have an intimate, relation, intimate growing relationship with God. The greatest thing that you can do in your life, for your family and for your spouse, is to have a growing, intimate relationship with God Almighty. God has this incredible design for our lives. It's four steps. But it's how, how beautiful it is that it kind of parallels the whole idea of our salvation process as well. Last week I talked to you about the jigsaw puzzle. How would you like to sit down and have to put together a 5,000-piece jigsaw puzzle and not have the box top? You know, it's a little bit time to do that, the design part. Well, Amy and I did that a while back, sat down with a big puzzle and worked on it. We worked for a long time one night, and Amy's strategy, and I agree with it, is pretty much, let's put the border together first, okay? Let's get all the pictures that have a straight edge on them and go put this big border together around this thing and cover it half our table. We've got a big table. I think it's going to be huge. But as we were working through this, and we went through all the rest of the puzzle pieces about ten times probably looking for because we were missing at least five or six of the edge pieces. Couldn't believe it. Brand new puzzle. We opened the box. How could they make this puzzle and not put five of those edge pieces in there? We never could find them. So we decided we'll try to do it without it. We couldn't really do it without it because we weren't sure a couple sides where they fit because we didn't have one of the corner pieces as well. The puzzle pieces have a purpose in that box. If, that, those, if those, those pieces, because they have a purpose, aren't there, we're not going to realize that puzzle. Just like we're not going to realize it without the design. God's ultimate purpose for marriage. If we don't get any further than this one purpose, we've got a couple of them we're going to talk about here. But if we don't get any further than this, this is something worth hanging on to. And this is also something that I believe that we miss in our marriages too often. Look at verse 26 and 27 in Genesis 1 for a second. Flip your Bible back to that page for a second. You know the verse. Genesis 1, verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. You know, you're seeing the Trinity right there, the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let them have dominion over the fish in the sea, over the birds of all the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God's ultimate purpose for marriage, this is worth writing down, this is worth remembering. God's ultimate perfect, uh, purpose for marriage 
is to mirror God's image. It's to reflect God's image. It's to magnify God's image. It's to exact, exalt God's image. It's to glorify God's image. We are to reflect God through our marriage. Ponder that for just a second. The missing puzzle piece right here. We are made in the image of God. It says it right here. We're made in that image. And I want you to know that God is looking to see if he can see himself in your marriage. That's what we're talking about here. God wants to see himself in you. wants to see himself in your marriage. God put this whole elaborate, beautiful, wonderful, life-changing, life-altering relationship in our life that we might do one thing, one thing only. The purpose of all these things that he does in marriage is to reflect him, that people might see him. I'm here to tell you once again this morning that one of the biggest problems with the Christian church today is all the divorces. You know, a lot of times we think because people have kind of confused the idea of marriage out there, that's a big problem. Well, I can tell you an even bigger problem is that people can't stay married. That's just as big a problem. There's all kinds of sin out there, but it's a sin as well to not follow God's plan. God has a plan for us. Marriage exists to display God. That's it. That's the ultimate purpose. He has put us together as man and wife to display Him. It's the closest thing we'll ever come to the Garden of Eden. It is a beautiful picture. We'll look at that here in a second of what Christ did for us upon the cross in His covenant with the church. God has this incredible plan for you and I. God wants us to mirror His image. Matthew 5.16, you know that verse? Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light so shine. Let my marriage so shine in such a way as people see God and they realize there's a God in heaven. There's too many marriages that aren't reflecting God's glory that aren't mirroring who God is out there. I want you to think about this as far as, well, how do we make that practical, Pastor? Well, let me ask you a couple of questions this morning. Does your marriage add value to anybody else's life? Does it? You know, statistically, they say one of the greatest things that can happen in your family and your children is for them to see a mom and dad that are married and that marriage is going to go the distance. That there's never any doubt in their mind that that marriage is going to end in divorce. There's, there's a model there for them to see, I want, I want to marry somebody like my mom, or I want to marry somebody like my dad, or I want to have a marriage like my parents. Conversely, there's also the other side, that they see that marriage and they realize, I don't want that. I believe marriage, or they don't get married because I, I, didn't, I didn't like what I saw. God has an incredible opportunity for you and I to make a difference. Is my marriage adding value to anybody else's life? Do people see the joy of our salvation in our marriage? Do they see there's just something special, man? There seems to be an extra bounce to their steps. There, there seems to be some, something incredibly exciting and enthusiastic about their relationship. I want that. Isn't it awesome when people come up and ask you, how do you, how do you get that kind of marriage or how do you maintain that kind of marriage? I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you about him. Who did it for us? Think about this in our marriage as far as glorifying God and being a mirror image of God. Do I live with a grateful heart? Am I thankful? I can tell you this too. We'll connect the dots for just a second here. But I believe the greatest thing that can improve your attitude is having a grateful heart. If I begin living with a great sense of thanksgiving, a phenomenal attitude of gratitude, if I begin living in such a way as I'm just thankful, 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 you know what happens when something rough comes up to handle? Nothing. Okay, that's going to be a little difficult to handle, but I'll handle it, but I'm just so thankful over here. 
I got this big compound list of thankfulness over here, all these things I'm thankful for, and I have one little momentary light affliction here. Light and momentary affliction. No big deal. I'll work my way through it because I'm so thankful for all I have. It changes our attitude. I get up in the morning and I'm thankful for my life. I'm thankful for all the things I have, the blessings that God has given me. Thankfulness changes attitude. And when we have the right attitude, you know what happens? It's hard to keep God back. It's hard to hold God back from this world. I just want to rejoice and thank God for all I have. I mentioned a moment ago that uh, Paul in his message to the Ephesians, it's in chapter 5, don't need to turn there right now, but the Apostle Paul said there was a mystery, something that was not disclosed before Jesus Christ came. But he said that Jesus Christ started a covenant, gave a covenant to the church. Jesus Christ gave his life for the church, the church, you and I. He gave his life for you and I. He's talking about marriage, though, when he's talking about the Scripture. And he compares the covenant that Jesus Christ made with the church to the covenant between man and wife. You know, Jesus Christ is known as the bridegroom, right? We're known as the bride. The parallels there are not by accident. The parallels are there so that we might know that God made marriage, that he desires to get the glory for it, and that we need to give him the glory through all that. I put it in your bulletin this morning, but I made a little comment there. It says, uh, the more I learn about Jesus, the more I love my wife. Marriage is a picture of the relationship with God. As we ponder this scripture this morning, I want to challenge you as you think about these things, as you ask God to speak to your heart, it can change your life. There's two other purposes very quickly here this morning. Genesis 2.18 says this. The Lord God said it is not good for man to be alone. He will make him a helper comparable to him. God said there's only one thing that's not good when he created all these things. And it was the fact that man was alone. You ever wonder why God left Adam in the garden for a while by himself? Could have been because he wanted to show him he needed something else. He needed somebody else. God formed woman to be complete and to help complete the man. He formed her to be a complementary relationship for Adam. Man and woman were created unique by God. Both man and woman are formed in the image of God, both equal in dignity and value and worth. Adam and Eve had an arranged marriage. I don't know if you ever thought about that. There's no mention of love when we see Adam and Eve coming together. That happened later. God gave Eve because he needed something to complete him. God gave Eve to Adam because he wanted to give him somebody to be a companion with him. That's the essence of God's perception about marriage. It's a covenant, but he also wants us to have a companion, a helpmate, somebody to help us along. When you pursue purpose number one, when you glorify God and we reflect God through your marriage and this life, you know what happens? Everything else comes together. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. God has this incredible plan. The third purpose, Genesis 1.28. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. The third purpose of marriage is to multiply, but also multiply a godly legacy. That we have an incredible privilege and opportunity to raise children that are ultimately our gift from God. God gives us each other. But to ensure our children carry on and reflect God's glory into future generations. We have an opportunity to make a legacy that's going to last for eternity through our children. 
were to mirror God's image. This morning, as we think about these things, the big question is, so what? So what do all these things mean to me? I want you to realize that marriage affects God's reputation in this world. It really does. We underestimate the opportunity we have to impact other people through our marriages. We underestimate the opportunities we have in common contact with our sphere of influence, the people that might be struggling in marriages, that we might be an encouragement to them, that we might be able to help them get back realigned with God's design and God's purposes for marriage, that we might direct them to God Almighty. I'm here to tell you, I believe with all my heart, because I believe in the power of God, that if everybody that's ever faltering in a divorce situation or a marriage situation where it just doesn't seem to be coming together, that if they were able to get in front of somebody that could point them back to God, and they truly open their hearts, the whole course of that marriage would reverse directions. I'm here to tell you, that's the power of God. God wants marriages to survive. Marriages exist for God's glory. Marriages are also created to conform us to a closer walk with Jesus Christ. Question for you and I. Does God see his image in your marriage this morning?